Good morning, this is Steve Copley and I'd like to welcome you to We Are Arkansas. This morning we're honored to have as our guest Morgan Lineberger. And uh, thank you for coming in this morning, Morgan. We're going to talk about Buddhism and Buddhism in Arkansas. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Morgan, could you just share a little bit about your faith journey and how you've come to this particular point in your life uh, as a Buddhist? Yes. So I wasn't born Buddhist. (laughs) I didn't start out this way. Um, I actually grew up in the Methodist Church. Uh, going to a a church in downtown Little Rock with my parents. Um, And it was a really wonderful experience. And I think that that the experience that I had in the church really opened me up to um, this other faith tradition. Um, I think I started exploring Buddhism when I was in high school, um, just read by reading books. Uh, And then when I was in college, I went to India and Tibet. And when I was in India, I did a meditation retreat. Um, It was 40 hours. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I still don't know what I did. Um, but but it, it sparked an interest. Um, you know, that was that was the spark for me. So then when I came back to the time I was living in Fayetteville, when I came back to Fayetteville, um, I was really curious. I was curious about this practice of meditation. I was curious about Buddhism. I hadn't necessarily connected the two at that point, but I just continued to um, seek um, those practices and experiences uh, until eventually it led to a place where um, I consider myself Buddhist. I took refuge. I um, sought teachers. Um, I eventually moved to Little Rock and met Anna Cox, uh, who is a a practicing Buddhist, and she's a lama in the Tibetan tradition. And Anna became my fast friend and mentor. Um, And and through her, I discovered um, personally this, this world of Tibetan Buddhism. Well, it's interesting, and let's, when you say you took refuge, what, what does that mean in the context of Buddhism? You know, I don't know if this is a, if this is a perfect um, parallel, but it's sort of like um, being baptized, perhaps, or um, maybe taking communion, because mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we do constantly. Um, but in Buddhism, we take refuge in the Buddha, or the teacher. Um, we take refuge in the Dharma, which is the teachings, the path, the, the instruction, uh, and in the Sangha, which is the community. Uh, so this is a group of people who are also taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and um, they're our support system. They're our spiritual friends. And, and you mentioned Anna, and you said she's a Lama in the Tibetan tradition. Lama is what? Lama is a teacher. Um, It's someone who is uh, highly realized and is able to uh, recognize uh, a person's spiritual path and give them instruction on a personal level. Um, So in each of the different Buddhist traditions, there's different um, hierarchies or different, um, just just like in the Christian traditions, um, you know, there's like priests and ministers and pastors and bishops and all these sorts of um, delineations. And um, and so in the Tibetan tradition, um, and particularly in the Nyingma tradition, a lama is, is one of those delineations. Well, since we're we're moving in that direction, and I know that uh, in Little Rock there's an ecumenical Buddhist society, there may be other Buddhist communities, but the ecumenical was there, if I understand correctly, because a number of different uh, uh, traditions of Buddhism are practiced there. 
Um, tell me some more to start with about the Tibetan um, tradition and what are some of its uh, what are some of its major beliefs and understandings and practices. Yeah, well, that's exactly right about the history of the Ecumenical Buddhist Society, which is that um, different different uh, traditions and lineages came together under one roof. Um, in terms of Tibetan Buddhism. Um, Tibet is, uh, was, um, and still really is, a, a very isolated place. And so um, Padmasambhava brought Buddhism to Tibet a long time ago. <laughs> and um, and it, it began to flourish. Uh, you know, it became the religion of uh, that, that area. And because uh, Tibet was so um, physically isolated, um, it, it, it just took on um, a very special flavor. Um, Tibetan Buddhism is, um, it's a tantric practice, which means it's a, a secret practice. It's very um, inspired by the relationship between teacher and student. Um, and um, the, the different lineages can trace their origins. Um, some of them can trace their origins all the way back to Padmasambhava. And so this is a history of um, teacher building a relationship with student, student becoming teacher, and over many generations of unbroken um, uh, transmission, you have uh, teachings, you have practices that, that flourish and that take root. Um, so so that's, that's a little about Tibetan Buddhism. So in, in Tibetan Buddhism, it, there certainly sounds like this oral component, teacher to student, student becomes teacher. Is there a written tradition in addition? or? Yes, there, there is a written tradition. Um, and I guess when I think about Buddhism, especially like Buddhism in the West, um, it's, it's hard for me to relate or to... Um, uh, you know, we don't always think of things as like having a Bible. Um, there's the Pali Canon, right? Mm -hmm. And that uh, the Pali Canon is um, considered uh, the Buddha's um, teachings and transmissions. Um, but also sprinkled into the Pali Canon, my understanding is that there's also commentary. And, and all of this was written um, generations after the Buddha's death by students. Mm -hmm. um, then um, there's also the Mahayana Sutras. Uh, and then in Tibet, there are, um, there are Tibetan sutras, there, there's a Tibetan written tradition. Um, but then, of course, teachers um, throughout time have been writing their own interpretations uh, of practices. Um, and in, particularly in the Tibetan tradition, there are um, writings and also objects that um, are considered that they were, they were hidden by Padmasambhava and then discovered, rediscovered in contemporary times. Um, and so uh, you may find writings that are actually, um, th they're credited, the origin of these writings are credited to be uh, a thousand years ago, but they're just being discovered today for the contemporary audience. And Anna, you mentioned sutras. What are sutras? Uh, yeah, sutras are commentary on the Buddha's writings. Okay. Yeah. Well, since you've mentioned Buddha, can you tell us um, uh, a bit about uh, his history, his life, um, some about the Dharma, and uh, just to give us a good background in Buddhism sure. generally? 
Yeah, the historical Buddha, Siddhartha, um, was born a prince. Uh, he was born to a, a fairly wealthy and powerful family. Uh, he had a good life. Um, he ended up getting married and had a son. Uh, and uh, he was really sheltered because there was a prophecy um, when he was born um, that said that he would either become a great king, a unifier of uh, the regions, or he would become uh, a great spiritual master. And so his parents chose for him that they would like him to become this great king. <laughs> Uh, and so that choice, um, in, in order to realize that choice, they sheltered him and they really kept him away from uh, the outside world because they suspected that uh, any influence, any um, uh, noticing of the world around him would perhaps catapult him into the spiritual life. Um, and they were right. He ended up, he ended up going out. Uh, it's said that he encountered um, someone who was sick. He encountered someone who um, had died and a number of other, he encountered a number of other um, people who were suffering. And he was unfamiliar with this concept. Everyone around him was beautiful and young. Uh, and so he supposedly was, was totally unfamiliar with this. And upon seeing it, realized that he had this yearning to um, confront that in his own life. And so he went out, he left his family and as far as I know never returned um, and he began to practice uh, meditation and began to wander around as an ascetic uh, eventually um, leaving that life behind and realizing that that was an extreme form of practice and that it was no different from having all of the luxuries of a prince uh, and um, began to eat more and eventually um, dedicated himself to sitting under a tree until he became enlightened. So, and what is enlightenment ah, in Buddhism? Nirvana is beyond concept. <laughs> Which is true, true. Yeah, um, y you know, I, I don't know the right answer to that, um, but I guess I will say that, um, that it's, it's uh, a state of knowing. Um, so, uh, in Buddhism, we talk a lot about ignorance mm -hmm. um, and um, and like the ignorance of believing that we are sitting here having a podcast, <laughs> talking for a podcast. Um, so, yeah, so I, I sort of imagine nirvana as this state of being in which uh, we're beyond ignorance, in which we um, uh, are fully aware of our interdependence and the emptiness of all things, of all phenomena. And if I understand it uh, correctly, and I'm, I may not have it, you know, in, in Western culture, we talk about, all right, I'm going to strive toward something. I'm going to strive toward being the best attorney. I'm going to strive toward Christian perfection. But within Buddhism, in a way, you're moving toward this point where of, of understanding of nirvana. But at, at its root, Buddhism says, no. I do that by ridding myself of my own uh, own strivings. I'm not really striving. I'm uh, um, I'm I'm almost trying to rid myself of striving toward this understanding comes in a different way. Is that correct? It's it's almost a, a giving of self away. You remove yourself in the midst of your practice and meditation, and it's there you can. 
begin to move toward understanding our inner relationship. I think so. Yeah, I think that, that that's right. I mean, there is still this concept of devotion uh, and of, um, of desire um, to practice and desire to reach the state. But then there's also this concept of no desire. And so um, it's, it's kind of a paradox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yes, um, the Dharma. Tell me about the, uh, the Dharma. Yeah, so the Dharma is the path or the way, Mm -hmm. and um, these are a set of ethics and principles and teachings and practices that lead us to this state that we're talking about, that lead us to um, um, the desire to relieve the suffering of all beings through enlightenment. Um, the Dharma looks different all over the world. It looks different in different um, traditions, but ultimately um, the way that Buddhists think about these different lineages or these different traditions is that um, each one is very important and each one is a ray of light emanating from a single light source, which is the Buddha. Um, So um, while of course conflict does arise, hopefully the idea is that we can sort of work together and appreciate each other's um, differences and each other's um, different ways of coming to uh, the same truth. Um, So for some people, uh, they're really studious and it's it's really helpful to do a lot of Buddhist study. And then for other people, meditation is a really important aspect. Um, So, you know, different people, I think, glean different um, bits from uh, what we collectively call Dharma. Tell me a little bit about um, meditation or your meditation practice. What does that look like? It looks different every day, but I do try to meditate daily. And I think that that's, that's really essential. And I haven't heard a teacher who doesn't stress how important it is to have some sort of daily um, habitual practice. Um, so for me, uh, in the in the Vajrayana or the Tibetan pra- um, practice, um, uh, we have um, we have different sadhanas or practices. Um, and I have a particular one. I, I'm just tackling one at this moment that, <laughs> that we do. Um, and it's, uh, it's chanting and visualization and, um, you know, what you might think of, what, what many of us think of now as meditation, which is sitting still and doing nothing. <laughs> um, so it's kind of, it's all of that. Um, um, but also sometimes for me, meditation is just sitting and watching the breath. That's how I learned to meditate. That was my um, very first experience. Um, it's a practice called Anapanasati. Uh, and then um, I also first learned to meditate um, in the kind of mindfulness tradition. And so that's being aware of what our bodies are doing, being aware of uh, the world around us. And you mentioned earlier, Anna is your Lama. How often do you engage with your teacher? Hopefully, all the time. Okay. Um, yeah, I've 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 been very very lucky to um, have lots of access to Anna because 
of our relationship also through work. So Anna's the founder of the organization that um, I work for, Compassion Works for All, which is a prison outreach organization. Um, so I'm quite lucky that she's interested in seeing me <laughs> frequently because she wants to know how her organization is doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, on when I can, it's uh, I email her or visit with her uh, weekly. But that's not necessarily um, the case for most Buddhist teachers and student relationships, and it's not important. It's not necessary. Um, so ultimately, we are working towards, and I can't say that I have this yet, but we're working towards a place where the Lama is within us and we recognize our own Lama nature, our own Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so, you know, a, a very highly realized practitioner, uh, if their Lama dies, say, um, they, they won't feel sadness because the Lama is still with them. Um, so it's not like they're not experiencing a loss. Uh, on the other hand, it's very, very helpful, especially at this stage for me, to have an actual llama <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I can sure. that I can talk to. And uh, you know, a really important part of our relationship is just her knowing me, her being able to say, "Oh, is this you know, is this really what you mean, Morgan?" And and just like holding me accountable and helping me to understand how to hold myself accountable for my own karma, for my own um, impact in the world. You know, a lot of folks have done work on Buddhist-Christian dialogue, and uh, I, I find it interesting. Uh, Anna has said um, many times that Buddhism, she used the word philosophy, and it has compatibility with a lot of faith traditions. And I, and there was a wonderful book that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote looking at, the, I think it was the Gospel of Matthew, and giving his interpretation um, and I just was struck where you talk about the Lama nature is within you. And I think in, in within Christianity, this sense that Jesus says, I'm with you always. I'm present. I'm here. Even though I'm not physically present, I'm still here. And the compatibility uh, in, in some ways the same as the Lama still has that influence and, and power within you. And I, and I find those interesting connections. Um, one thing that Interfaith Arkansas does, not only Interfaith Dialogue, but we work in, um, and this is a result of Anna's work in restorative justice. Tell me what you do in, because I know you go in uh, into the prisons um, and and work with prisoners, some of them in a Buddhist context, I believe, but, but tell me what you do there. So Compassion Works for All, like you mm -hmm. said, goes into correction facilities. Um, Historically, we had been going into um, death row and the maximum security, which at the time was at the maximum security prison. Uh, we've now expanded and we're going into Pulaski County Detention Center, several state facilities and even the federal um, correction facility. And we support people in whatever way they need uh, and whatever way we're able. Um, usually what that looks like is through Dharma practice or meditation practice. So um, there, at a couple of the facilities, um, there are Buddhists who have specifically requested Dharma. Uh, and so we lead meditation groups that support that. Um, uh, we provide readings and study and, and conversation um, for people who are interested in exploring the Buddhist path. 
Um, at other facilities, um, there's not so much an interest in Buddhism necessarily, but just in meditation and the benefits that, that that practice brings and in the ways that Buddhist philosophy perhaps intersects with their own um, uh, religious practices and beliefs. Uh, and so in that case, we have meditation um, groups where we just support whatever practice and whatever faith and whatever belief people already hold. Um, and so, you know, in practice, th those Dharma talks and those meditation groups look sort of the same. Um, it's just, you know, d a difference in, in makeup of the people who are, who are attending. Uh, we also... Um, we're social workers at, um, at Compassion Works for All, and so we do offer some therapeutic groups. Um, right now, uh, I'm working with a group of juveniles uh, who are incarcerated in, in an adult facility, and we are leading an acceptance and commitment training for them. And so that's, um, uh, we use meditation in any of our programming, um, but, um, you know, with just different emphasis. Um, and then we also lead conflict resolution programs uh, and, uh, and just do our best to support people in whatever way they need. That's, it's an exciting, exciting program. Um, you know, Arkansas is, a, to me, an interesting state. Um, we're a southern state. We're a smaller state. Folks are amazed at the variety and the growth of different religious perspectives, Buddhism being one of those. Um, you know, always understood the presence in the Fort Smith area because of, you know, the late se uh, the 70s, uh, the resettlement of folks from Vietnam and and, and other places, but Buddhism is is growing and in a number of different varieties. Um, and uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? I just recently discovered there's a Buddhist community in Clarksville that practices in a in a trailer house out there up there, which is exciting to me. So there's probably a lot of different varieties of practices going on that probably just organically spring up. So you know, I I, I realize you may not know the the full breadth of that but but within arkansas what you've experienced because i think somebody's connected with compassion works for all who's uh in, in a buddhist community can you just tell me yeah. what your experience in arkansas is sure so you know i think that the census says that there are less than one percent of arkansans are buddhist um but Despite that, there's Buddhists in so many communities across the state. Um, it's really phenomenal. And, and as you mentioned, they really pop up in these different flavors, these different um, ways of practicing. I actually just yesterday um, saw an article in uh, Lion's Roar, which is an, it's an online publication, um, about uh, DIY meditation groups. And it was, you know, these seven or eight ways to start a meditation group in your community if you don't have one. Um, and so I think that that's what's happening in Arkansas. Um, although I would also say that for such a small state, we have an incredibly rich um, connection to the Dharma. So in Jasper, Arkansas, Kinchul Rinpoche, um, who is a, a Rinpoche, he's a teacher, uh, his his 
headquarters, that's not the right word, um, but, you know, his home base is in Jasper, Jasper, Arkansas. Uh, And so there are a number of um, nuns and I think maybe one or two monks who live, who their home base is also there, including our very own Ani Chindran, Ani means nun, uh, who is on the board of Compassion Works for All. So there's that resource. In um, Fayetteville, Geshe Tuptendorji, who is a a Geshe in the Gulupka tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, uh, he is um, working and teaching and living in Fayetteville. Uh, And then in Little Rock, of course, we have the Ecumenical Buddhist Society. Uh, I also recently heard that in Conway, there's a new meditation group that sprung up. Um, And so the way that that in places like Arkansas, um, the way that we can support that, in addition to seeking out these teachers who who live in our state, um, uh, is we bring teachers in. Um, So we bring uh, teachers from all over the world into different parts of the state uh, for retreat. So typically that looks like a weekend retreat. And um, people, gosh, um, at the Anam Tupton retreat this April, we had people coming as far as from Chicago um, just to see Anam Tupton, who is a world-famous teacher. And at this retreat, we're talking about maybe 70 people who attended, which is an unprecedented access to um, such a high, amazing presence. Um, and so we're, we're very lucky, actually, to be in a place like Arkansas, where um, it's still very accessible to meet one-on-one with teachers. And, and while we don't have any resident teachers that I know of in, in Little Rock or even in central Arkansas, um, we have these resources. We have students who are devoted and who are willing to um, put the effort and energy into um, bringing these resources for all. Morgan, thank you so much for this rich conversation today on We Are Arkansas. And it just, within this conversation, we certainly are more alike than we're different. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to to hear about the growth of Buddhism in Arkansas and about your journey. So thank you very much for being here today. Well, thanks for having me, Steve.